ಸ್ಥಾಪಕಾಯಧರ್ಮಸ್ವರ್ಮಸ್ವೂಪಿಣೆ ಅವತಾರವರಿಷ್ಠಾ ರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣಾಯಸುಸುತಂಗಸಚಾನೂರಮರ್ದನಂದೇವಕೀಪರಮಾನಂದಗತ್ಗುರು So in the last class everywhere we ended our discussion in the 22nd shloka of the second chapter of bhagavad gita so what it speaks of vasangsi jirnani yatha vihaya navani grinhati naroparani tatha sharirani vihaya jirnan anyani samyati navani dehi that even as a person casts off worn out clothes and puts on others that are new similarly the embodied self casts off worn out bodies and enters others that are new so it's with the help of an example here bhagwan is illustrating the process of transmigration in which the soul is eternal it never dies off it never dies it is eternal it is the our body which like clothes gets worn out and we have to discard them discard them and enter into the new body or adorn ourselves with a new cloth and that's how the transmigration goes on now in the process of discussion we brought into the uh, our discussion the idea of the self who is actually not the doer somehow it has as if entered into the realm of this body mind senses and it gets identified with the body and from there the process of evolution the biological evolution starts that is the self seeing its reflection in the body mind complex takes the reflection to be real and but at the same time so what when it takes the reflection to be real what happens that it is eternal bereft of its association with the body mind complex it is eternal but when it gets identified with the body mind complex and it sees its reflection it takes the reflection to be the real someone we give the example of an echo the self is constantly asserting the fact that it is eternal but now as it has deluded itself with the image so as if the from the image the echo is coming i am eternal i am eternal and now the delusion starts then the body mind complex can never be eternal it has to fall off and now that echo which is constantly saying you're eternal it finds that this this idea that that it is eternal is not getting materialized through the body mind complex it is actually eternal but it is because it is identified with the body mind complex it is again and again finds that eternity is as if interrupted with the dissolution of the body and from that we just were indicating that the entire idea of spirit of biological evolution is accepted by vedanta 
that it is the self which gets deluded, that it is the body-mind complex and tries to realize the eternity in the body-mind complex is what it is doing. The entire biological evolution, what it speaks of, a single cellular organism, it finds that a little change in stimuli, a little change in stimuli results in its annihilation. The body falls off and that speaks of annihilation. But something behind is saying you're eternal. So what it does, it tries to fight against the nature, to equip itself more and more so that it can cope up with the nature in a much more better form, evolved form. How the evolution has happened? This single cellular organisms now started conglomerating. First they formed groups and then they started conglomerating to be together. They started dividing the labor that you do the digestion, I do the circulation, you do the respiration. So why all those things? Through that group activity, through that synergy, we both can win, we both can, as a single cellular organism, we had our limitations, we can cope up with those limitations. We can overcome those limitations. And it's a win-win situation. You also win, I also win. And that speaks of synergy. In the modern biology, they say that it is the synergy through which the evolution happened, through cooperation. And this, that's how the complicated organism grew. What, why, what was the motivation behind that growth? That because of delusion, I identified myself with a reflection which is falling in the reservoir called the body-mind senses. I take this sharira, prana, mana, upahita, chaitanya, the chaitanya, which is reflecting on the body-mind complex. That to be the real, I'm trying to evolve biologically so that the one who is echoing that you're eternal can be realized there. And it goes on. It cannot be a straight line. This evolution cannot be a straight line progress. A time comes as a human being, we have developed that uniqueness to realize the spiritual fact that because of the delusion that I who was actually, I'm, I'm never as such attached with the body-mind complex. I'm always apart from it. It's just the reflection with which I got identified and taking it to be the real. That never it happened. I was always separate. Now just that delusion when it breaks off, I start disidentifying myself with the reflection. And that's this dawn of the spiritual journey. The more I do it, the more I get detached from the body-mind complex, the more I evolve spiritually. And what happens? I end up where I started. It's a cycle. I started as the free soul beyond the realm of the body-mind song, this complex. As a free soul, I started. Somehow that ignorance dawned in. I saw my reflection in the body-mind complex and took it to be real. And this resulted in the entire biological evolution. And now with the idea, when it comes that idea that it is the delusion that I'm taking the ego to be the real and I stop getting identified with the reflection, it takes me back again to my pure self, that your true original nature, you get again established in it. That's the cycle of evolution. It starts, of course, with the ignorance, the biological evolution follows, and then the illumination dawns in, resulting in the spiritual evolution to at last render us free. As long as we are identified, this process of living one body, equipping ourselves to have a better body, this goes on. And that's the process which has been spoken of in this sloka.
वासांसि जीर्णानि यथा विहाय नवानि गृहाति नरूपराणि तथा शरीराणि विहाय जीर्णान अन्यानि संयाति नवानि देहि नाउ इन द लास्ट क्लास आफ्टर द क्लास व्हेन वी अपलोड आवर दिस वीडियोस इन द यूट्यूब so i saw some very interesting uh, remarks some questions it was really very uh, thought I means thought provoking question uh, as it is related to this mantra and its discussion i would uh, just before proceeding to the next shloka i would prefer to have a short discussion on that question and try to discuss on the genuine doubt it's a very nice doubt which has actually came out from that discussion i will try to just have a short discussion so that we can have a better understanding of the idea of how this the process of uh, evolution happens because of the identification of the self with the body mind complex so the question is very interesting that one is not the doer that we understood that it is when the self comes in association with the body mind complex immediately <clears throat> the body mind complex which is inert as if gets activated so it is something like uh, what you say that uh, a very nice term that automatic response is going on there in the body mind complex so now the question is that how can karma theory be applicable to the non doer the one who is not doing how can the karma theory be applicable to the non doer so it's a quite it's a very genuine question yes atman is non is the non doer it is not doing anything it is not doing but it is deluding seeing the action going on in nature it is deluding that it is my action so what uh, actually liberation entails is not the stopping of action it is the it is the end of the delusion uh, to give a very uh, nice example you know that uh, how long that delusion lasts how long that uh, this action of the prakriti lasts as long as the delusion is there as long as you are deluded that you are the body mind complex till then this game of maya maya the word maya is very interesting maya ya means yatha yatha as it is ma is the negation maya means what i am seeing is not the real truth the real truth is being projected the way what i am seeing what i am seeing is the map of reality it is not the reality maya it is a, that what i am seeing is not the truth so this when this delusion arises as long as the delusion is there the maya has its role to play it will go on dancing and make you dance the atman being deluded feels that it is something which is limited by the existence of the body mind complex it comes to annihilation again it has to take new body so it's the because of the delusion this is going on what has to stop is a delusion and to really understand that it was not doing anything at any time sri ramakrishna and when that realization dawns in the dance of maya stops it won't dance anymore in a very simple way we can try to understand this phenomenon ramakrishna used to say in his colloquial bengali very nice used to say maya ke chinte parle maya paliye jaye once you can recognize the maya the ignorance it flees it runs away and he used to in his own simple way with the help of stories allegories he used to explain the very profound truths of vedanta so there is a story very nice story that the children were playing all the children many of the many children most of them were uh, cousins relatives means in an extended family 
joint family. The cousins all stay together. So it's all the siblings and the cousins, they were all playing. And suddenly they saw a bear entered into the room. They all were scared from where this bear came. They were shouting, screaming, they were terrified. And suddenly one of those siblings recognized. She shouted, oh, it's our uncle. She has actually born, she has, he has worn the bear skin and just to play with us came with the bear skin and we are terrified. But the moment that small girl shouted, oh, it's our uncle, immediately the uncle removed the bear skin because there is now, now no use of wearing that bear skin. He has been recognized. Now he cannot play prank with the children anymore. So let's see, there's a nice story. How long the Maya is going to play with us? We are in no way going to be affected. It's only the bear skin who is bearing. It's something virtual. It's not real. As long as we don't recognize it. The moment I recognize it, it is because of my association. The Prakriti has started dancing. And it is making me feel that I am dancing along with it. The dance goes on. The moment I recognize that it is just Maya, it is not what as it is appearing, immediately it removes it well. And that entails liberation. So these are the various ideas. This in the scripture is profound to really understand as it is. It's sometimes we find there's a lot of gap in our understanding. So what we have to do is to have to cogitate upon and with all the various these suggestions, these allegories and upamas, these are the things which help us to understand. These upamas are not to be taken literally. They help us to understand, which is very abstract. I'm taking the help of some of the examples and relating the only the similar part of the example with that abstract idea to somehow get an idea of what the scripture is speaking. Nowadays, in the modern days, because of the advent of the computer, some of the scriptural truths becomes more easy to understand by relating with the help of simile. That's the way we use the allegories in the olden days. Here also, computer can be used as an allegory. Just see the chip of the computer. It's like the body-mind complex. It by itself is inert. If the entire civilization is destroyed. Suppose after thousands of years, the human, the new human generation that comes, most probably they, they know nothing of computer. And suddenly by excavation, they discover these IC chips. They will just look at it and throw, oh, it's most probably a dead log wood. They can never have a, even an inkling of the idea. What is the idea? That if the bias voltage, the electricity passes through it, it gets unleavened. It will get unleavened. So this, the moment the electricity pass, that passes through it, the thing which was appearing as inert gets unleavened. Now we will take say a still more specific example. Suppose in a computer, I'm watching the movie. What's happening? The IC chip inside the computer, it actually, you know, it's in Vedanta, they say because of the ignorance finds expression in two ways. First, it is Avarana Shakti and then Vikshepa Shakti. The conventional uh, uh, example, the conventional example which they illustrate to explain this Avarana Shakti and Vikshepa Shakti. Avarana means to cover, Vikshepa means that Maya. Now to uh, produce it, to project it as something which it is not. The common example which Vedanta gives, suppose a rope is there lying on the ground in the twilight hours because of insufficient light, I see it as a snake. What has happened? The because of insufficient light, first the avarana, there's a covering, as if there's a covering over the rope. And that 
covering leads to vikshepa to that that's the concept of maya it's no more appearing as it is now it's seen it as a snake actually there's no snake now with the help of computer science we will try to understand this avaran and vikshepa in a much more specific way now when i am seeing the watching the movie actually what is happening it is only the bias voltage without which the computer is just dead the moment the bias voltage is there i went to the internet and opened up uh, that the channel in which that movie is being played i am watching the movie what is actually happening those who know computer you know that little even nowadays all we are all are to certain extent computer literate though we operate on the computer we don't know the science of the computer those who have not studied but now even in school the basic level the computer science is there where we understand to uh, help us understand the working of the computer what is the basic way the computer is working what's going on inside the ic chips where when the current passes through it it immediately projects itself as this world of virtual reality i'm watching the movie actually this ic chip is, has many gates they call it gate what is gate in our uh, in our ordinary language gate is through which you can pass through or you may not be allowed to pass through that's gate some desirable persons may be allowed some may not be allowed that's the gate that's the gate meant for so here also this ic chip has a lot of gates now the current is something which is passing through all these gates the first there is avarana to some of the gates it is allowed to pass through some of the gates it is not allowed to pass through as a result what happens there is there is only two uh, things to represent this uh, the current which has passed through these gates that is 1 and 0 when the current the gates through which the current is passing through is represented as 1 something positive and through which it has been obscured is 0 1 and 0 the entire computer science actually is based on this binary number 1 and 0 so what the 1 the 1 when passes through this uh, ic chips becomes a permutation combination of 1 and 0 this 1 and 0 is creating the picture the virtual reality so i'm seeing so many characters that's that's so many events everything is going on but it is that same that simple uh, bias voltage which while flowing passing through the ic chips creating this imaginary world and then again passing out as the bias voltage the same current actually no changes happen to the current in the process when i'm watching the movie for some time in the process it is passing through the ic chip as it has been obscured not totally obscured it has been obscured in such a way now it creates a panorama but it is always the same bias voltage again it is passing out as the same bias voltage in between we create this world of virtual reality and that's what the basic idea of purusha and prakriti in sankhya philosophy is in no way the purusha is going undergoing any change it is when passing through the prakriti it the myriads of this uh, phenomenal existence evolves because of avarana and vikshepa when sri ramakrishna was in dakshineshwar there was a mat apparently a mad cap was in dakshineshwar for a short time everyone thought him to be mad he always used to have a wonderful smile and move around and he had used to had a chandelier chandelier in his hand he will play with the chandelier allow the sunlight to fall on the chandelier and that creates a myriad of light and shade a wonderful and he will just see that how the light and shade is playing around while the sunlight is falling through it and it is playing around on the ground that reflection falls and it's the wonderful that image of light and shade is playing around and he will just laugh seeing it and say oh lord what a wonderful maya you have created 
this, this white light falling through the chandelier, creating this myriads of this light and shade, the game of light and shade. So there, it is actually not there. The sun is in no way affected. As long as I'm playing with the chandelier, it appears to be that, that the world of virtual reality finds its expression. If I am aware of the fact, if I get identified with it, just in the movie, if we are getting identified with it, we may get scared, we may feel the tragedy. But if I know it is virtual, it is not going to affect me. Sometimes because of the entertainment purpose, what we do, we allow ourselves to be identified with it. Knowing very well, we can never get identified with it in reality. A time the movie will stop, I will be myself, old self, and then I will say, ah, it was a movie. It was just for my entertainment. And that's why to watch a tragedy movie, we pay and go to the cinema hall. Because we know very well that it is going to end and it is in no way is going to affect the real me. As long as it is something virtual, I can, even it may be a tragedy, even it may be a utter violence, crime, I enjoy because it's not real. So here also that the idea which is that we are never the doer. The real Atman is never the doer. But when it is getting identified the virtual world, it starts feeling, seeing that virtual uh, world, it feels that it is a part of it. Just the way when we are watching the movie, seeing the main character of the movie to be going through a lot of turmoils and tragedies. I identify myself with the character and I start crying. I no way I'm actually identified with it. Nothing has happened to me. So here also, that just the way the one who is watching the movie is the non-doer. But why he's crying? Because for the time being, he has got identified with that character and starts feeling that all the changes in life is happening to him. So the moment the delusion falls off, nothing is going to affect me. Even when I am under, under delusion, there is no real change in me. Previously, when I was not watching the movie, there was what I was when I am watching, then also I am the same person. When the movie will be over, then also I am the same person. Nothing has happened to me. I was in no way involved in it. But it was only that wrong identification that created the suffering. So that's the idea of the non-doer, that to get rid of that false identification. I was never doing. It was only that my identification that started creating that the game, the play of the Maya. In Yoga Sutra, uh, in uh, Sankhya philosophy, they give some very nice example. You know that the Purusha and Prakriti, the Prakriti is like a dancing girl. It's an example they give. Yes, for the sake of example, to clarify our doubts, let us resort to that example. That Prakriti is like a dancing girl. Now what it does, it finds that a Purusha, just who is watching, is mesmerized by the dance, by all the, uh, the dance and the acting which she's doing, is mesmerized. Seeing him mesmerized, he goes on that dancing and acting whatever way she can mesmerize that person. After some time, she finds that this person is now no more deluded. She has uh, now been satiated by what was going on. Now he wants to be his old self. So now she knows that all this, my this uh, acting, my dancing is of no avail. She is no more interested. Now she will try to delude someone else with the dancing. So that's how that there are so many Purushas. It is only those who are mesmerized for them that dancing goes on. For the one who have got sat satiated with it, have understood its real nature, that it is just meant to lure me and comes out of it 
the, nat the nature finds that there is no purpose in trying to lure him. I cannot lure him. So that's why that idea is very interesting that once you recognize the Maya, the Maya falls off. As long as I have not recognized, this process goes on. Life after life with the various, there's myriads of the plays and games in the form of various bodies is going on. And that's the idea which has been spoken of as Vasang Sijirnani. It is all, as long as I'm identified with the psychophysical existence, it goes on. Now again, the, there are many doubts I've seen that the biology says it is only in the mother's womb. It is only because of the physical union, something life is coming out from where the soul comes. How it does, is, that, is it something spooky that in the mother's womb, the soul enters? So many questions naturally may arise. But you know, even in the modern science, there is a branch of science which has developed from genetics. It is becoming stronger. It is called epigenetics. I don't know whether you have aware of one of the books, which, has, which is actually one of the best sellers. It's called The Biology of Belief. Its author is Bruce H. Lipton. He is a PhD in medical science. And in the, in the mainstream medical science, he's a doctor, he's a postgraduate, not, not only postgraduate, he's actually a professor in the university teaching the medical students. He's the one who is thought to be the one who uh, has, is the founder of this branch of this called this epigenetics. What is the idea there? The previously, the biology had the idea that it is the genes which, design, which decides what we are. All our the bends in our uh, character, mind, the, the trends, the inclinations, our orientations, everything the genes decide. Now, this epigenetics with science, I won't go to the details of it, have made it almost an established truth that it is the environment. It is the way I think affects the genes. Genes is not something which is the ultimate, the fundamental thing which decides how, how we should be, how we are going to be, what's our, what's our character going to be, what's our behavioral traits going to be. The environment affects the genes. So based on that, the, the biology of belief, that's a wonderful book. I'm not going to it, just to relate to this sloka, this Vasangse Jirnani. I will just go to the epilogue of the book. I, have, I will read out a portion where you will find what it's, it's the epilogue is actually the conclusion after going through the entire discussion to prove that how we are being affected by the, our environment, by our thoughts processes, and it starts changing the genes. At, then at last in the epilogue, it is going to some very interesting discussion where the idea of the non-locality of the self is being brought forward. That the something called self has to be there. And it is non-local. Just the way when you are watching the TV, has really something entered into your TV? A small child may think so, that something must be inside the TV. All those characters must be inside the TV. Has it anything entered in it? Just the way we think in the mother's womb, when the child is growing, something must have entered. And if we even open up the TV, we find nothing. If we just dissect the body, we find nothing. We say, oh, it's all nonsense. The idea of self, it is just the conglomeration of the biological cells with which it has evolved, that we will think. But we forget when the TV is going on, nothing has entered into it as a physical being. But what we see is actually being transmitted. That transmission is non-local. That is the thing which is not seen. That is the thing which you cannot burn. That is the thing which you cannot cut with sword. Now you will find what Gita is going to say in the succeeding sloka is very interesting. Before going to the succeeding slokas, I will read out that portion from the biology of belief as in the epilogue to 
find a wonderful idea by this, by which the process of transmigration with the help of biology is being explained. It's a wonderful, uh, this science. It's a, it is actually the science which is more and more relating to these ideas of the reincarnation. I will just without further introduction, let me go just, I will just read out that portion of the epilogue of the book, The Biology of Belief. Consider the human body as a television set. You are the image on the screen, but your image did not come from inside the television. Your identity is an environmental broadcast that was received via an antenna. One day you turn on the TV and the picture tube has blown out. Your first reaction would be, oh, the television is dead. But did the image die along with the television set? To answer that question, you get another television set, plug it in, turn it on, and tune it to the station you were watching before the picture tube blew out. This exercise will demonstrate that the broadcast image is still on the air, even though your fast first television died. The death of the television as the receiver in no way killed the identity broadcast that comes from the environment. In this analogy, the physical television is the equivalent of the living cell. The TV's antenna, which downloads the broadcast, represents our full set of identifying receptors and the broadcast represents an environmental signal. Because of our preoccupation with the material Newtonian world, we might at first assume that the cell's protein receptors are the self. That would be the equivalent of believing that the TV's antenna is the source of the broadcast. Just a small child, if it tries to find out from where the picture is coming, it sees the line, the wire, the cable at last ending in antenna and may think it's from the antenna. The cell's receptors are not the source of its identity, but the vehicle by which the self is downloaded from the environment. You will find that even uh, in the modern science, they have started realizing the self comes much later. Even the mind, the brain is not the mind. The real mind is non-local. Just the way you own the uh, you, in computer, you are trying to download something from the internet. All those informations are non-local. It gets localized as per your choice. As a medical student, I want to download some medical journals. So as per my choice, I'm creating my own world. Mind is non-local. It has all the information. I, as per my choice, as per my temperament, create my own world by what I download. So just to see the wonderful idea. So it is I, uh, that as we were reading that, I realize that my identity myself exists in the environment, whether my body is here or not. I am there as that non-local uh, identity is always there. Just as in the TV analogy, if my body dies, and in the future, a new individual biological television set is born who has the same exact set of identity receptors that our sanskaras decide that that's to having that what we do, that the, even you will study the science of reincarnation, they say that my sanskaras decide in which body I will be born, where I find that the body in which those receptors are tuned to my sanskaras. Just the way the channel which is being broadcast, it is always there. The one who is tuning a particular channel, only that particular channel is being received. Similarly here, 
that you as a non-local, that's the mind, this is there with all your, uh, this what you say, sanskaras, you're there. When you get a body which is tuned to the sanskaras, which needs to be expressed, you are actually getting as if downloaded through that body. It's not something physical entering. So that's the idea which is being how nicely illustrated in a science book. The book, as we told, is it's a uh, it's the actually considered as the Bible of epigenetics, the biology of belief. It is becoming stronger, though there is a lot of opposition in the world of science, but it is becoming because of its evidence-based facts, it is becoming stronger and stronger. And not only that, it speaks that here with the help of this TV analogy, we can never understand the theory of karma, that how our karma leads to different types of body. As per my karma, I can get a better body or it may lead to some lower birth. That also has been explained with another allegory. I will read out because these allegories helps clarifies our doubt. Swami Vivekananda used to say that we welcome the development of science. When he was in the West, he found that with the discovery of the science, the pillars of religion were as if falling. The foundation of religion was falling. And then he asserted that I, coming from the Vedanta background, actually encourage the, all the discoveries of science. What he told was something very interesting. With the discoveries of science, the Vedanta will shine forth. Its pillars will get stronger. And what uh, it's if any misunderstanding, if some superstitious beliefs are there, they will get cleared off. But it's real. The essence of the Vedanta will shine forth. Its foundation will be based on a stronger foundation. The science will be the foundation. Now, see, just see another nice example which uh, the author, this Bruce Lipton, is giving. That here I understand myself is a projection. But how the law of karma works, that he's actually using not the TV analogy, he's using the analogy of land rovers in Mars. I will read it before uh, just uh, discussing. You will find that, uh, that the discussion is so that, uh, that the words of uh, Bruce Lipton itself is self-explanatory. Let me read it and uh, then we can just comment on what he's saying. While the TV analogy is useful, it is not a complete one because the television is only a playback device. In the course of our lives, what we do alters the environment. We change the environment simply by being here. So a more complete way of understanding our relationship to spirit is to compare a human to the Martian rovers. Spirit and opportunity. Those are the names of the rovers. Or the other NASA landers we have sent to the moon and Mars. Humans are not yet able to go physically to Mars, but we really want to know what it would be like to land on Mars. So we send up the equivalent of a human explorer. Although the Mars rovers don't physically resemble a human, they have functions of humans. These vehicles have cameras, which are the eyes that see the planet. They have vibration detectors, which are ears that hear the planet. They have chemical sensors which test the planet, etc. So the lander is designed with sensors that can experience Mars somewhat as a human would experience it. But let's look a little more closely at how the Mars rovers work. The rovers have antennas that are tuned to receive information broadcasts by a human being in the form of a NASA controller. Just see, again, this question of transmission, someone sitting in the control room of the NASA, from here, he's actually remote controlling all these rovers. So what he's doing this, the earthbound controller 
actually sends information that animates the mariner on Mars. But the information is not a one-way street. The NASA controller who learns from the lander because the vehicle transmits information about its Mars experiences back to Earth. So in the TV analogy, it was one way, but the rovers, what we are doing, we are sending the transmission. They are also sending us the feedback by which we know what's going on in the Mars. Now, very interesting thing, this theory of uh, karma will come into picture by the next discussion. You and I are like earth landers who receive information from an environmental controller as we or the spirit, the environmental controller is the spirit. As we live our lives, the experiences of our world are sent back to that controller, our spirit. So the character of how you live your life influences the character of yourself. This interaction corresponds to the concept of karma. Now, just to elucidate what he's saying is very interesting. Now, the Land Rover, which is now roaming around in the Mars. What I am sending some signal, the controller is sending some signal, it is sending back me the feedback. But if the Rover goes wrong, then all the signals it is sending back will be a distortion. Based on the distortion, when I distorted information, I sent in the feedback. That again, that feedback itself won't allow it to work in the proper way. It will get more and more distorted. So that's how at last it stopped. We stopped working with them. So this interaction corresponds with the concept of this karma. When we understand it, we must make heed of the life we live on this planet because the consequences of our life last longer than our bodies. What we do during our lifetime can come back to haunt us or a future version of ourselves. This interaction speaks of a very wonderful thing that there is something called that, that Hiranyagarbha, the cosmic mind with which we are interacting, we are sending the signals. The cosmic mind has its own laws. We can never break them. If somehow we get wrong, the Land Rover gets wrong, it starts sending false signals. That false signal will deviate in more and more because based on the false signals, the signals which will be sent again, instead of bringing it back to the mainstream, will deviate it more and more. So what we send back decides that what we are going to have as, as destiny in future. So these all examples, as we are told, these are all examples, but this helps us to understand much far better the theory of reincarnation. That's why we are bringing this discussion into this picture in the next sloka. The, let's just read the sloka. When they say that nainang chindanti shastrani nainang dahati pavaka na chainang kledayanti apa na shoshayati maruta Weapons cannot cut it. Fire cannot burn it. Water cannot wet it. The wind cannot write. Anything which has no parts, which is not made up of material components, just the way we think that when the child is in the mother's womb, it is the material components which are getting conglomerated to create the self as an epiphenomenon out of it, we will be deluded. It is the transmission that our self, which is the in the environment as a non-local existence, it's being as if downloaded by the physical existence. Just the TV that of course speaks of the physical existence, but it works, doesn't work by itself. When the picture tube blew off, I bought a new TV. Yes, that's what happens when the child is growing in the mother's womb, that new TV is being born, but it is dead unless the transmission is there. And that's the non-local transmission which can no one can touch. That non-local transmission, nainang chindanti shastrani, can with weapons you can even you just forget about the self. You take this example in this allegory, the transmission 
in the TV. You can destroy the TV, but can you stop the transmission? Nainang chindanti shastrani, nainang dahati pavaka, something non-local. The wind cannot dry it. Nachainang kledayantyapa, the water cannot wet it. Nashoshayati maruta, the, sorry, the fire cannot burn it, water cannot wet it, the wind cannot, nashoshayati maruta, the wind cannot destroy, they dry it. So now you can understand that something which is non-local is beyond all this uh, material way of destruction. I cannot do that. Something which has no parts, the self is without that. And for this reason, in the 24th sloka, is a reiteration of the same idea which has been spoken of in the 23rd sloka. Achidoyam, adayoyam, akledya, ashosya evacha. Nitya Sarvagata Sthanu Achaloyam Sanatana. The self cannot be cut. Achedoyam. You cannot cut it. Adayoyam. You cannot burn it. Akledya. You cannot drench it. You cannot moisturize it. Kledya. Ashosha. You cannot dry it. It's almost a reiteration of what has been spoken of in the same sloka. Eternal, all-pervading, nitya, sarvagata, the idea of non-locality, non-pervading. Sthanu, unchanging. When we speak of unchanging, we think something must be as hard as a rock. We forget the transmission, which has no as such material substance, can never be changed. So it is the, what you say that the gap in our understanding which doesn't allow us to understand these slokas in the proper perspective. If you take the sthanu as something solid material, again, we will be doing the mistake. It is unmovable, just the way the image which is being transmitted, nothing can move it. The moment you buy the new TV, it is again there. Is it something solid? No. So something can be unmovable just by being non-local. It's unchanging. Nitya. Sarvagata sthanu achaloyam. You cannot move it. You cannot change it. The self is same forever. So that's the idea. The scripture. In the scripture they say the shastreshuna mantranam jamita asti. That repetition is not a fault in scripture. The same ideas will be repeated. Because we find that what is required is sravana manana nididhyasana. We have to have sraddha. That when I find that in the scripture is confusing me, instead of brushing the scripture off and saying it's all nonsense, why not have the humility to acknowledge the fact that most probably there is some lack in my understanding. I am not all-knowing. I have limitations in my understanding. Let me have sraddha. Let me have respect in the words of the scripture. And try to do manana by let me cogitate upon it. And as I cogitate with Sraddha, gradually the doubts get clear and I get intellectually convinced. That's and that's the beginning of the real spiritual journey. That intellectual conviction is not all. That has to be internalized so that your life, your stimuli response conditioning changes. You behave as per your intellectual conviction. In science and religion, that's the difference. In science, I know so many things, but it has nothing to do with my day-to-day life. Even if I know that there is some self which is non-local, nothing can kill it. It can be just an academic knowledge. I can just lead my old way of living. Spirituality speaks of that, that knowledge which I have understood intellectually and I'm convinced about it how to transform it as the be-all and end-all of my existence. If that's the truth, that should find expression through my life. And for that, first, that clarification is very much important. I have to go through it. Even in our ordinary science, that's what we do. When when someone says the scientist, such and such renowned scientist has formulated this, immediately we believe it. We have the sufficient humility to acknowledge the fact that my understanding is not up to it. Let me go on studying it, contemplating on it, cogitating upon it, 
the doubts will get cleared the scientist can never be what he told can never be false it has to be true i have that belief and then gradually my intellectual my my intellectuality goes to that evolves to that state so as to relate to the truth which has been spoken of so in the scripture the same thing has to be done and for that the repetition is not a fault it actually helps us to cogitate upon the same truth through various suggestions and that's why we find even in the gita instead of so many repetitions the same shloka as if been repeated just in a bit different language so the 25th the 25th shloka we will end our discussion today what it says almost the same idea avyaktoyam achintyoyam avikaryo yavuchyate tasmat evam viditvainam nanu shochitum arhasi the self is said to be unmanifest it is the transmission which results in the image but can you without the tv can you ever be aware of the transmission no it is inaccessible inaccessible to the senses i cannot see the senses can never see the transmission avyakto avyakta means which is unmanifest achinte it is incomprehensible it's only when yeah finding as an image as it in the tv then only you can comprehend otherwise it is incomprehensible inaccessible to the mind avyakta speaks inaccessible to the senses achintya speaks it is inaccessible to the mind i can never think i can never uh, conceptualize the self it can never be done very nicely in ashtavakra gita there is a very nice phrase in one of the shlokas achintyam chintyamanopi chintarupam bhajatyasav that when you think of the unthinkable the thing which you cannot think you would try to think of it you are just resorting to a piece of thought only to give an example when i say aham brahmasmi who is saying the mind is saying that what brahma is is never can be thought of when i say aham brahmasmi it is a mind the brahma which is beyond the mind i can never uh, conceptualize it with the mind when i say i am brahman i am not the body not the mind of the senses who is doing it it is the mind who is doing it then is there no use of it no that's a, a, a different part of the discussion it is this process by which i can go beyond the mind that's why it is okay but know it for certain when i say aham brahmasmi actually i am in no way relating to brahman but then why should i do it it will help me to go beyond the mind and take me there to that realization the greatest delusion which happens in the spiritual life is again and again we take the way to be the goal i it is a all way when i say aham brahmasmi it is just a way to really relate to my real identity it's not speaking of the ultimate reality i can never speak of the tatva it is just a index pointer most of the time the mistake which we do in spiritual life is when a small child the mother is trying to show the moon to the child and at last she points the finger finger to the moon the child is so attached to the mother it is always looking at the mother when the mother is pointing the finger at the moon the ch- mother finds the child is looking at the finger mother is saying see the moon the child he, she in no way could divert the direction of the child that finger is the the pointer you have you have to just divert your attention from the finger and you have to look at the object to which it is pointing but the child goes on looking at the finger that's what we do when i say aham brahmasmi i think i have understood everything we have taken the pointer to be the real and go on saying aham brahmasmi but actually this is just the pointer with this we have really to take a quantum jump to go beyond the mind there's a process this is a process actually by constantly cogitating mentally aham brahmasmi can take you beyond the mind we are not bringing it immediately into the discussion there's a science again behind it so what is saying is something interesting is achintya you can never comprehend it is inaccessible to the mind avikari unchangeable so you will find is again 
just it becomes so easy to understand with the help of the transmission transmission is not the self we are taking it as an allegory with its limitations that's the things which are similar to the concept of the self only those things we are taking to understand so we should never take the tv uh, transmission to be the self just we are taking the similarity to understand that what it is speaking of just the way the transmission becomes accessible to the senses only when in the tv it has taken the form of the image as transmission is avyakta it is unmanifest till it has found the image you cannot even think of it achintya avikarya nothing can change because as we have seen no weapons can cut it wind cannot dry it fire cannot burn it water cannot drench it so it is avikarya unchangeable without part so that's the self which is transmitting from body to body nothing can annihilate so why are you thinking that all arjuna that your relatives and everyone is going to be killed in this battle they're just going to change the forms but in the process righteousness will win that will be established for that the war is it in no way is going to kill anyone people will be changing their roles and in the process the dharma will be established so so don't grieve for the role which you are supposed to play as a kshatriya as a righteous warrior and that too under the guidance of the divine become an instrument a nimitta and take part in the battle to not not like a coward run away from it so that's the idea you will find that how this sublime ideas bhagwan is bringing in the midst of the battle that's a very important thing spirituality doesn't speak of exclusiveness in our day to day life in the midst of all the madness the tranquility can be experienced if we know the science behind it yoga karma sukoshalam karma sukoshalam and then you learn the trick koshala to act in this life in a detached manner where everything goes on but nothing can perturb you so you need not have to be exclusively leaving everything go to the forest or to the some corner of your house to separate yourself from all the activities to dive deep into the contemplation you everything can go on you take care of responsibilities you are in the midst of this madness of the world but still you can enjoy the bliss of tranquility and that's what bhagwan is equipping arjuna with it's all the suggestions that's the more important than the hard skills and in our present day say that the certificate speaks of the hard skills but all our motivation speaks of the soft skills and in any workplace now they go on saying that all our education which we have bought with money so much of money we have spent for it it at last contributes only 20% of your professional excellence 80% comes from the soft skills your attitude your behavior the way you cope up with the situation your resilience your grit and for this that 80% we have no knowledge there is no academic knowledge for that now in the form of positive psychology it is coming into the academics and we find in all the universities the most popular professors are the professors of the positive psychology because they are also trying to bring in this aspect this soft skills into the field of academics that contributes 80% arjuna was confident with that 20% he was a warrior he was confident that with this i can rule the world in the battlefield he found how miserable he is that 80% soft skills is lacking and there lies the low there lies the role of krishna to equip him with those soft skills that's the 80% that alone can help us to run as an effective being a productive being in this world otherwise with all our hard skills with all the skills which we have gathered which has been produced in our certificate is of no use that's just simply get shattered so that's how the gita will proceed gradually to the various shlokas to equip us is addressing arjuna 
through Arjuna, he's addressing, God is addressing the entire humankind to equip us in this battlefield of the life. It is not a pleasure ground. It's a gymnasium where we have came to make ourselves strong. That's what Swami Vivekananda used to say. So how we can make ourselves strong, that's the con- context of Bhagavad Gita. So we will continue with the slokas, considering slokas again in the next class. With this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskars.